Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Chris Hill, and I'm joined by Motley Fool Senior Analyst Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, good to see you. Good to see you, Chris. On this week's show, Android is gaining on the iPhone, Google has a new deal in China, and Best Buy makes peace with a profane animated bear. Plus, a talk with Washington Post technology columnist Rob Pegararo and a look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin with the June retail numbers. Guys, beating expectations, we had Abercrombie & Fitch, JCPenney, Macy's, Limited, Nordstrom, and Hot Topic. James, I, I know you're you're a big fan of Hot Topic. I, I am, Chris. I am. You can see by my wardrobe. <laughs> Costco fell slightly below expectations, but keep in mind, Costco closed its stores on Memorial Day, so that definitely affected their results. And Gap came in below expectations. Seth Jason, obviously a lot of retail numbers there. What's your headline? Uh, My headline on retail is always a more investor headline, which is don't worry too much about this month-to-month garbage. But (laughs) on the whole, I was actually surprised things weren't worse. There's been a lot of bad economic news lately. I've been kind of pouty on the economy for a while. And sales at a lot of stores, even the ones that dropped, like American Eagle, I believe at a a 1% comparable store sales drop, were still better than I expected. However, the thing to watch for if you're interested in any of these retail stocks is told uh, the microcosm is Abercrombie. Comp number looked good, but if you listen to the phone call, they they don't give you all the details in the press release. I wonder why. Could it be because (laughs) nobody reads uh, or nobody makes the phone call to listen to all the details? Uh, quarter to date, average unit retail uh, price decreasing 16%. So if you sell a lot more stuff, but you make a lot less money per stuff that you sell, that could pose some problems for profitability. So be careful what you ask for on sales, everyone. And Shannon, are the the better than expected numbers that we're seeing, are, is that just a result of the bar being really low from a year ago? Well, the bar's a little bit higher than it, than it has been recently because we're coming off those catastrophic numbers. And so the comparisons are fair now. But yes, that, that point is, uh, remains valid that you're, com- you're comparing against soft uh, earlier uh, period results. James Early? Chris, what amazes me is how much some of these retail stocks are moving on this news, you know, whether up or down, 6% here, 7% there. This is Material and it, and it shows a pretty uh, volatile market. I say easy come, easy go. Well, let's focus on the gap for just a second. Cause no, I, I, no. <laughs> come on. I mean, this is, we, only for this reason that this is, is one of the best known brands out there in the retail space. And you look at shares of Gap. struggling for so long. How, let me guess. I haven't looked at the share price, I swear, in, in probably two years. Let me guess. Somewhere around $18? My question is, where did <laughs> it all go right? I have no, yeah. I, it I, hasn't moved for a decade. <laughs> so where did it all go wrong? Like, just from a retail business standpoint, where did the Gap just completely blow their lead? Chinos. Th- yeah, they Chinos. need new clothes and, and, and face music management, I think. Bring back acid wash jeans, and that'll change yeah. the whole story. We shouldn't bust on Gap so much. Uh, Old Navy is a great place if you are cheap like everybody in this room, in this room and you sure. have yep. small kids. Yep. Do you have a favorite retailer? Particularly when it comes to the mall? And I'm not talking Orange Julius. <laughs> as, a, as a stock or, or to get my wardrobe? Either one. Well, as a, as a stock, I'm I'm really partial to Guess, which is not uh, just a retailer. It's uh, it's a wholesaler as well, but their retail operations are significant and, and do a great job. Is, is Aunt Annie's Pretzel Shop, <laughs> is that publicly traded? I don't think it is. Oh, okay. 
I, I pretty much buy all my stuff from Sierra Trading Post, this uh, closeout, you know, overstock type He's website. He's a camping I don't have dude. to get up. I just push a button and it, it comes on my doorstep. Yeah, but that's quite a slinky outfit you have from Hot Topic there, James. <laughs> <laughs> In an interview with CNBC this week, Treasury Secretary Tim Geithner said the Obama administration still hopes to hold the top tax rate on both capital gains and dividends to 20% next year. That 20% rate would be an increase over the current 15%. James Early, you're our dividend guy. Uh, Tell me what this means for investors. Well, first of all, Chris, before we start talking about raising taxes on everyone else, I think we should make sure we've collected all the back taxes that Tim Geithner owes first. (laughs) (laughs) Our Treasury Secretary owes some back taxes? Just maybe. So it's it's very good news, actually, because the dividend rate is going to go from 15% to 20% if this holds, which is a lot better than you know 39% or so with the, the top ordinary income rate. Capital gains was going to go to 20% anyway. This is about average in terms of U.S. history. Uh, you know, same thing for, for, for developed countries. Some places in Europe are more, some places less. But overall, this is good news because it, it seems to remove a lot of uncertainty from the market. Yeah, and let's keep in mind that we're uh, our policymakers are right now kind of moving from bubble to bubble, and they don't want to do anything right now that would scare scare investors out of stocks because stocks are sort of our next uh, comforting bubble. Yeah, and, and, and closing the uncertainty gap, that that's huge because this has been a big story for, for quite a while. We've talked about it on the radio show before, and so now we have some closure on that. I think that uh, James's favorite asset class will uh, continue to yeah. go gangbusters. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're going through some of the big headlines of the week. Guys, this week in corporate profits, Seth Jason, our colleague Morgan Housel wrote an article on Fool.com that included a Commerce Department chart of after-tax corporate profits. And the headline is that after a wicked dip, corporate America is now more profitable than ever. That's got to be good news for investors, doesn't it? It's, you know, I hate to argue with Morgan because he's a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> Better but looking, too. There's, there's one piece of that that I, that I am a little bit worried about, and he's right to point out that this is a bounce back from a dip and that that dip was largely based on big financial companies writing off lousy assets. But the profitability we have right now is also somewhat of an illusion, and the extent to which it's an illusion, we don't really know, because banks are the beneficiaries of a lot of lax uh, rules and rule changes that allow them pretty much to pretend that that loans that before they would have had to write down or or uh, or reserve against and thus cut their profits. Now they can pretend those loans are fine, and the government did this. James knows all, by the way, all of the the nerdy technical details <laughs> of this. But they did this in order to take some pressure off the banks, and so there are some losses I think baked into these numbers. They're just hidden. Wait, yeah, wait, 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 wait. So, hold, hold on, hold on. So the government and the banks just got together and said, it, let's pretend like my four-year-old pretends he's it, a robot? It's, it's called in the biz, it's called extended pretend. Say, say James and I have lent Broido some money to develop a, a mall property. How much would you like? I would like $14.5 billion. Okay, <laughs> so, so Broido borrowed that back at about 2006, and, and we said, this is all great, but now that property is probably worth 40% less because it was on the edge of the desert somewhere where it turns out nobody really wanted to live. Maybe it's 60% less. Well, if Steve seems like he's good for the money and he's still kind of paying interest or maybe 
lower interest because we've given them a deal on the loan, we can now pretend that that loan is fine, whereas in the past, we probably would have had to mark it down. Yeah, and, and the hope yeah. is that the economy recovers and restores the value of that, but then hope springs eternal. And just to get on the technical note, for the next 20 minutes, I'll just walk through this. <laughs> um, it's, it's called FAS 157. It's the accounting rule, and it started in, in, ni- in 2006 requiring mark to market. So if, if the mall went from $100 value to, to $60, meaning we could sell it at 60 we had to mark it down if we were the bank. Then, in April, I think, of 2009, this got reversed, meaning if we, even if it was worth 60 on the open market, as long as, St- as long as Steve was still making his payments, and we thought overall we'd still make our money, we could keep it at $100. And the important thing that does is let the banks warehouse the bad loans versus the government coming in and setting up like a resolution trust corporation or some sort of entity to buy up all these bad loans. So the government is is hoping things get better. What the banks do then to further exacerbate this, just like Seth said, it extended pretend. They say, okay, well, Steve, we're going to keep lowering your payments to a level that you can comfortably make them at so we can keep this loan marked as, as a good loan when, when maybe it's not really. But I, I will say this, Seth, and it, I thought Morgan's article was still pretty good. There's a good yeah. telling chart from the Commerce Department showing how high corporate profits have gotten. And Certainly, the the financial stuff plays into this, but but it, I it's think also that they're not hiring too. anybody, right? It, it, yeah, it's exactly. exactly. Right. Three three jobs. Yeah. Hoarding cash and not hiring. So the the balance sheet health of corporate America is much uh, better than U.S. Uh, government's balance sheet. But you guys just lent Steve fourteen and a half billion dollars. He's going to be paying that off for a thousand years. <sighs> well, eventually, what you know, we'll we'll. When times are better, we'll mark that yeah, loan down. Yeah, that's the point. You worry about it later on. Let's bring it back to investors for one second. I mean, all, all this uncertainty and all this pretend that's going on between the banks and the government, is that a signal for investors to just stay the heck away from financial stocks? Yeah, but we've been saying that for a long time, and we've been <laughs> wrong. No, smart people who know what they're doing with financials and who are lucky probably can do okay. I've always said that some people are going to make a lot of money on financials, but it's not going to be me. Coming up, the smartphone landscape is shifting and a profane animated bear causes trouble for Best Buy. Stick around. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Ask the rich man, he'll confess. Money can't buy happiness. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in the studio with Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zimmerman. And during the break, we did check on Gap Stock. Seth, you said it was going to be around Somewhere eight, without, 18 bucks, I'm with, guessing. Without even checking. Shannon, you checked the numbers? Yes, and I'm, I'm loath the uh, Seth credit for anything. But yes, the stock price is 18.59 as we uh, speak. Oh, all right, let's dig into some more of the companies making headlines this week. Let's move to the week in smartphones. Google's Android is gaining ground in the smartphone market. Research in Motion's BlackBerry still holds the top spot. Apple's iPhone is in second. Microsoft is in third. But Seth Jason, Android's in fourth place. But over the past few months, it has gained market share. Gaining like crazy. At a time when all three of the others are losing. Are losing. What does that tell you? Well, it tells me that they've got a pretty good opportunity, and uh, this is a pretty robust operating system. There's some really nice devices out there from HTC and Motorola and others that are that are helping with this. Uh, I, I actually wrote an article uh, for our, our Fool.com this week about one of the challenges I think they have, which is that I believe they're making the same mistake that Microsoft did. The, the operating system is so open that they risk... Uh, Risk having Android not mean something specific enough to attract uh, customers. And I think this is a, a lesson that Microsoft seems to have, have learned. They, they are late to this game with a new phone operating system, but the one they are showing now, which is due out uh, late fall, is much more like Apple's. It's going to be much more tightly controlled. And one of the more amazing figures to me here is that, is that Microsoft, Microsoft still is in third place 
and the uh, smartphone market share because no one's buying uh, anything right now because they're waiting for the refresh. So uh, I think microphone still, or microphone, I think Microsoft, <laughs> I think Microsoft still has a chance, but they need to get on it. And uh, this is this is still an open field. Shannon, is that right? Yeah, I have a slightly different take because it's a, you have to have uh, an opening. And I think that Apple so controls that kind of boutique uh, consumer experience of the device that what's left for, for Google to be able to do is to go the open source route. And so it's a gamble and it may not pay off and you may be right, but I think that they have a competitive opening in that space because yeah. Apple hasn't uh, taken it over. Well, and Seth, you mentioned Microsoft. I mean, one of the stories that came out really over the last couple of weeks is yeah. Microsoft killed the kin, which was well, this. Well, nobody out there has oh heard of this God, except if they yourself. listen. <laughs> if they listened okay. to us, and when this came out, we said, "What are they doing? They're yeah. they're issuing a new OS, and and this is a casualty. This is a, if I were a Microsoft investor, and I'm not, I would I would. This is a, a symptom of a problem that they really need to get a handle on, which is that this, ironically, this device got pretty good reviews. Except that if everybody is waiting for your next real phone operating system to come out, you know darn well you're not going to sell this one. And so they should have killed didn't. it a while ago. There's some <laughs> they politics. Sold Ten thousand units, I think. Yeah, there's some. Well, some it's, people it's were no, saying no they sold 500. And it's actually, no Zoom, and I'll tell you that. Actually, we played with one at the store before even the reviews came out, and I said, you know, if I were in the market for just a really small phone, this is pretty interesting. Right. But I'm waiting for something better, and I think pretty much everybody had that attitude. Yeah, well, the, and the Palm Pre had a similar fate. It, yeah, you know, a pretty good product, really good reviews, uh, no sales. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're going through some of the big companies making headlines this week. Google said on Friday that China's government has renewed the license necessary for Google to keep using its Chinese web address. Now, Shannon Zimmerman, back in January, Google announced it was not going to comply with China's self-censorship rules. What's changed? Yeah, they're on the road to evil. <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting, and it makes me wonder what the whole dust-up a few months ago was all about. Remember, we were talking about that here on the show, and this is either a, a clever uh, strategy on Google's part to have an exit strategy from a market that they were losing, because, oh, they're going to take a stand against Chinese censorship. But at the end of the day, what they've done is kind of capitulate to all of China, uh, the, the government's demands. There still is a link on the on the Chinese site to the, the non-censored Hong Kong site, but of course the Chinese government is free to, to block that for their users yeah. as well. So to me, it's capitulation. And I, I but don't you know what? The, the important, nobody's paying attention anymore, right? So we all say, oh, oh Google right, right. stood up to China, but you know, a couple months later, they quietly say- So they're relying oh, on our, our uh, the, how everything goes down the memory hole so quickly. Well, if you look at the, the stocks of Google and Baidu- The, the giant search yeah, uh, company I mean, in China. Yeah, Baidu is up, I think, over 60% for the year. Google's down at least 25%. I yeah. mean, is is that factoring in the, into their decision here? I, I, I don't think that the stock price decline on Google has so much to do with this. I think it's, uh, we kind of touched on it before, they're kind of not floundering exactly, but but hoping that they're going to be able to profit from the Android platform in ways that are not direct as, as they are for Apple. I think that is sort of dawning on investors over time. James? So just to ask a, a silly question, maybe. If, so if I'm a Chinese internet user, I'm presented with the, the, the scrubbed Chinese site, but I can also go to the Hong Kong uncensored site. Why would I want the, the Chinese... I just willingly click that to get yeah, my no, results? It's, it's an excellent question. My understanding from what I have read is that the Chinese government can block that, whether or not they're doing it regularly. Oh, I see, I see. So uh, I'm, presumably I'm not sure. It would and, they, and, and maybe they'll just also figure out who's clicking on that site and, 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 and raise their keep a record yeah. of that. Yeah, and knock you on your door. And finally, last week, Best Buy suspended one of their employees after it was discovered he created a video making fun of people who wanted to buy Apple's iPhone 4. 
Brian Maupin, who worked at a Best Buy in Kansas City, Missouri, has been reinstated by the company, but Maupin now says he's taking a leave of absence. Guys, this video has millions of hits on YouTube. It features two animated bears. One of them is a sales clerk. The other just wants to buy an iPhone 4, no matter what the clerk says. And the clerk's trying to sell him on the benefits of another phone, which the clerk thinks is superior to the iPhone. Steve, can we play a clip of that? If it's not an iPhone, why would I want it? Well, it's similar to an iPhone, but has a bigger screen. I don't care. The internet speeds are around three times faster. I don't care. It has a higher resolution camera on both the front and the back. I don't care. It <laughs> prints money. I don't care. It can grant up to three wishes, even if one of those wishes is for an iPhone. I don't care. <laughs> uh, we, we should say to anyone going to YouTube to uh, to find this video, it is hilarious. It is profane. Yeah, so, it's got so, a lot of swearing, but I think it's I think it's appropriate swearing. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I think so, too. It's just not something you want to watch in front of the kids. No, or at work. Um, I mean, who gets the worst of this? Is it is it Best Buy for the publicity of firing this guy uh, and then well, you know they didn't really fire? They probably would have it had it not become a, they suspended an internet yeah, yeah. phenomenon. Uh, you know, I think Best Buy needs to think a little more out of the box and maybe hire this guy to do some some marketing for them because I nearly walked into Best Buy to buy this phone which I had not heard of until until I saw this video. It makes a compelling case and it's also very funny. Yeah, well, is it maybe Best Buy gets the worst of it, but the guy who put the video together gets the best of it. I think this guy has a, a bright career ahead. Yeah, it's hilarious. Well, he needs he should do something with his 15 minutes very quickly. Sure. Yeah. yeah. What about Apple? I mean, does does Apple get the worst of this? I mean, <laughs> I mean, this video pretty Did you did you not hear the other bear? <laughs> Nobody cares. That's right. Not Steve Jobs. He doesn't care either. <laughs> All right. Drop us an email. Radio at fool.com. Tell us if you think that you, this guy should be, I don't know, suspended, <laughs> fired, or, yeah, hire him. Let's well, get you know, him the market. Well, you know, we can check on that here in the studio. <laughs> Broido, you, you have a new iPhone 4, and you have that whole antenna problem, right? I haven't had an antenna problem, I have to tell you. It's working out just fine for me. Well, you have so, the, you so have the you prophylactic, though. You don't care. Right. And if he did, he wouldn't care, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I hasn't has not been an issue for me. I know some people have had problems, but uh, it's so, working fine. So even though there are the, these other smartphones out there with bigger screens and faster speed, you don't care? I don't care. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, when Seth and I were talking about this a little bit before the show, uh, the thing just works. You plug it in, it works, everything's fine, I'm good to go. What about a phone that grants wishes, though? I would definitely be interested. In <laughs> <laughs> All right, drop us an email, radio at fool.com. Tell us your iPhone stories, and tell us if you think Android really has a shot against Apple. That's radio at fool.com. Washington Post technology columnist Rob Pegararo talks about Apple, Google, and the artist currently known as Prince. Stick around. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. With the release of the latest iPhone, the e-reader war between the Kindle and iPad, as well as the latest from Microsoft and Google, 
There's obviously a lot going on in the world of technology, so we figured it was a good excuse to check in with one of our favorite tech columnists, Rob Pegararo of The Washington Post. Rob, welcome. Thanks for having me. So I want to start with the smartphone market in the U.S. Um, right now, you're looking at Research in Motion, and BlackBerry has around 35% of the market. Uh, the iPhone has about 28%. Google's Android, about 9%. Three years from now, what do you think those rankings will look like? How much do you think that's going to change? Uh, I see... The iPhone, I, I realize this may be an unfamiliar model to many people. It's a popular phone sold by Apple. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that number is definitely going up. Android is definitely going up. I think it was just this morning that Comscore put out some new numbers, and I think they have Android up at 13% already. Okay. Um, Windows Mobile is going down, down, down. I mean, Microsoft is moving to an entirely new generation, Windows Phone 7, but it's doing work it should have done and completed, I'd say, a year or two ago. Research in Motion, they're kind of in Microsoft's position as well. For years, they, they've made phones that IT departments love, but consumers are not necessarily, you know, how many people have you, do you meet on your days off that say, I really want to see my work email show up on my phone instantly? <laughs> you know, is that is that a feature on most people's wish lists? I don't know. Uh, you know, BlackBerry has a terrible browser that they are replacing. Their equivalent of an app store is late and slow and clumsy. Uh, their interface is just not as, as elegant as, as the iPhones or Androids. So th they've got work to do. Uh, let's move from the smartphone market over to the tablet market. Uh, obviously, uh, when people think tablets, uh, there's the iPad. Actually, the last time you and I spoke, you were out in California for the unveiling right. of, of the iPad. Um, uh, but according to reports, Google is working on its own tablet computer and will be partnering with Verizon. Uh, how big a threat is that to the iPad? It's definitely got potential. I think it depends on a few different things. I'm not so worried that with Android you'll have a bad fit of software to hardware. What the iPad did great that prior tablets completely failed at was was in using software designed for a mobile device. I, I've tried a lot of different tablet or sub-laptop computers running versions of Windows, and they were all pretty bad. The netbooks, some of them are okay, but the sort of, what was it, this ultra-mobile PC I tried a few years ago, just horrendous. <laughs> so with Android, you've got software that is also made for use on a mobile device with a touchscreen. The questions are, you know, what's it going to sell for? Will you be able to sort of turn the data connection on and off? You know, I find that the 3G iPad... The nice thing about it, although it's sort of clunky to do this in practice, is you don't need to keep paying AT&T month after month. If you're only using it around the house in the neighborhood, you can go Wi-Fi only a month, then turn on 3G when you travel. Uh, the other thing, of course, Android, unlike the uh, iOS, the software on the iPhone and, and the iPad, Android is designed to, to not need a, a host computer at all. You know, if you want to update the software on your iPhone, even just to set it up, you need to have a Mac or a PC running iTunes. Android doesn't need that. You take the thing out of the box, plug it in, and there it goes. So what you could have with an Android tablet would be, uh, to, to steal a phrase Apple used to use in its ads, the computer for the rest of us. Your really simple web and email device that doesn't need any configuration, um, takes care of itself, is cheap, and you know lets you get the basics of online life done. 
You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking with Rob Pegararo, technology columnist from the Washington Post. Now, I know you're not a stock picker, but you follow technology closely, and increasingly, it looks like we are in an Apple versus Google kind of world, like it's a Coke versus Pepsi kind of world. Uh, over the next five years, which of those two companies do you think has a greater upside? Huh, that's a good question. You know, it, it really amazes me. You know, you're correct that I'm not a stock picker. I can't invest in any of these companies, uh, which I should note, had I been able to invest in some of these companies 10 years ago, I would have gotten my clock cleaned. <laughs> you know, Cisco, MicroStrategy, they look like a sure thing at the time. Um, yeah, I don't know. That is a tough call because on the one hand, Apple sells enormously popular devices that for the most part, sorry from the occasional reception problem, they work great, they look great, they, they exceed your expectations in all sorts of pleasant ways. Google doesn't quite do that, but they have services that reach so far and you know compare so well. Look at how you know a free service like uh, Google Docs you know does things that Microsoft Office is only just starting to do, like letting you you know you share a document with somebody on the other side of the world, work on it at the same time. So, you know, you hate to bet against Apple here. I guess I would say put some money in both. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, that's the most Weasley answer I could give. Other than each other, what do you think is the biggest threat to Apple and Google? Hmm. Well, there I think you have to sort of go back to Microsoft because they do have a huge installed base. You know, they have shown that they can you know, move quickly when they have to. Look at how the Xbox 360, the Xbox Xbox, and the Xbox 360 have done. They, with that, Microsoft was moving into a market where it had no experience, you know, no installed base at all, where you had Sony and Nintendo and Sega owning the video game console market, and Microsoft knocked Sega out of that business entirely. So when they put their mind to it, you know, they can do good work. It's just a question of what sort of sweeping changes are they willing to make in their existing lines that have maybe gotten stale. I think Windows Phone 7 could be a good example of them recovering since they elected to pretty much scrap Windows Mobile as we knew it. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking with Rob Pegararo, technology columnist from The Washington Post. Now, uh, a few months ago, I interviewed your colleague Frank Arendt, uh, business columnist extraordinaire at the Post, uh, Indeed. and I got to ask you something about something. Uh, I want to get your reaction to something he said. Uh, we were talking about Sirius XM, and he said that he thought that in three years Sirius XM will be gone. You're the technology columnist. What do you think? I think we're heading that way. Uh, I, I had this revelation last year. I went to a tech conference. And it was about music and technology, and there was a panel about web radio. And the guy from Pandora, very good web radio site, said, you know, we're getting so much traffic on mobile devices. Well, came home the next weekend. Uh, my wife and I were visiting some friends who have a vacation house in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. I thought, well, let me take one of these phones reviewing. We'll see how long we can listen to web radio. We listened to it all the way down 66, Interstate 81, pretty much all the way to this uh, little cabin in the woods. And I thought, you know, We've been listening to web radio the whole time. Did cost us anything? No contract. Only required a phone. We already, you know, you'd already buy. What's the uh, use case for Sirius XM in there? I don't know. You know, there, there's sort of two ways you can compete with web radio. You can be cheaper. That's kind of hard. Uh, you can have more variety. 
also kind of hard when you use satellites with satellites with fixed bandwidth or you can be more local difficult to do when you use satellites that have to cover the entire country all right we're talking with rob pegararo from the washington post and rob let's wrap up with a round of buy seller hold uh, let's start with uh, something. That's Sell. The economy's doomed. <laughs> let's start with something that's gotten some good reviews, but it's been criticized for its size. And, and one of our regulars here on Motley Fool Money, Seth Jason, called it waffle-sized. So buy, sell, or hold the soon-to-be-released Droid X smartphone. I'm a hold on that. I think the size it may or may not be an issue. I think if you carry around your phone in a purse, I don't, but I know many people do, uh, the size is not just a big deal. Uh, the size can be an advantage if you're not great with on-screen keyboards. But I agree, yeah, to me, that's kind of a big phone. I also just don't like the fact that, um, you know, it doesn't have the sort of trackball most Android phones have. So when you're trying to select text or move around, you have to use just your thumbs on the screen. And that's one area, using fingertip control of text where iPhone is better than Android. Well, I, I've, I've seen other Android phones that I like more than the Droid X, I'd put it that way. Buy, seller hold the likelihood that the iPhone will team up with Verizon in 2011. That's a hold. You know, I've seen, I, I, I know the engineering logic behind it, Verizon moving to a new network standard. Um, I will not be surprised if it happens in 2011, but I can't ignore the fact that every prediction so far of a Verizon iPhone has been wrong. So, uh, you know, I could say buy, but don't blame me if you <laughs> if you lose your shirt. This was once a red hot stock, but increasingly we're seeing this technology in smartphones and mobile devices. Buy, sell, or hold the future of Garmin and its GPS. Oh, sell. Yeah, I don't see why. You know, what, the first time I tried the navigation turn by turn navigation on the Droid, I thought, yeah, goodbye GPS. You know, <laughs> especially once you figure out a way to cache some of that information on the phone. So you don't need to have a live internet connection. Yeah, why? Why would I pay for a separate device that I need to remember to bring along and recharge? Just get a car charger for your smartphone and a little dashboard mount. Off you go. In an interview with the British newspaper The Daily Mirror, Prince said that the internet was quote <laughs> completely over. I don't see why I should give my new music to iTunes or anyone else. He also went on to compare the internet to MTV. So buy, sell, or hold, Prince. I would buy Prince just because, you know, we, we need wacky people. I believe he is wrong in this particular technological analysis, but I do like his music. I guess I just won't be able to uh, listen to the music on this new CD unless somebody, you know, illegally, illegally posts it on the Internet. So, so maybe he'll reconsider that. So you're buying Prince the musician and not Prince the technology prognosticator. I won't interview him for my <laughs> next story about web trends, no. And finally, you and your lovely wife are expecting your first child any day now. So buy, sell, or hold the likelihood that on your child's 10th birthday, your newspaper, The Washington Post, will still be available in print. Buy. But you didn't ask what state. Will it be a <laughs> weekly edition? Will it be, you know, much thinner? Uh, who's to say on that? We'll have to see. Even, you know, the newspapers that already have gone... Uh, all digital, like the Christian Science Monitor, they still have a print presence. U.S. News, U.S. News and World Report, they have a print presence. It's just sort of, you know, these publications they've shifted to keeping to printing the things that have some kind of keep around the coffee table value. Right. So, if, if you'd ask 15 years from now, I might have a different answer. <laughs> 
Rob Pegararo is the technology columnist for The Washington Post. And I don't care if you're a gadget person or you're looking to invest in technology companies, you got to read his stuff on WashingtonPost.com. Rob, thanks for being here. You're welcome. look at the stocks that are on our radar. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're in the money. We're in the money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill, and back in the studio with me, our trio of senior analysts, Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zirin. Guys, before we get to the stocks on our radar, we were talking about retail earlier in the show, and and I neglected to mention maybe the most interesting retail story, which had nothing to do with revenues. It's the bedbug infestation at a couple of Abercrombie & Fitch stores in New York City. Oh, yeah, the one that had the CEO crying to the mayor for help (laughs) because he can't figure out what to do on his own. He wants what is, I've read some more guidance and leadership from the mayor on bedbugs. I'm sure Bloomberg will get right back to that. I think what, that. what people are missing this story, this is guerrilla marketing. Bedbugs, that's a sign of hipsterism. In Williamsburg, Brooklyn, the hot happening music scene, bedbugs, you want to have them. That's a status symbol, yeah, having absolutely, bedbugs? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> what the hell is going on in Brooklyn? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bedbugs is a status symbol. We run with very different crowds. <laughs> a lot of skin in Abercrombie. I, well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, if, I, mean if, if, I, I could see where that bedbugs would be a problem at a clothing store where there's lots of fabric, but you know, the the aren't now, those I, guys I, walking around shirtless at Abercrombie? The sleazy ads they use it at anybody catches a, a parasite at Abercrombie gets exactly what they deserve for walking in there is what I say. <laughs> you know what that is? That's fierce. That's fierce. That is fierce. You know what I have to say today I when I was at the investor relations page at Abercrombie, the fierce thing was gone, but it was still a, a shirtless dude. But they took was there away any other word? But the word fierce ferocious. was no longer there. So let's give him a golf clap for getting rid of that. And for listening to our show. Yeah. Well, was, he, was he pockmarked by bed bug bites? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I didn't look too closely. James, uh, you've got the bed bug Wikipedia page. Is that right? It is. I, I did not know what bed bugs look like. So I went here and apparently it says largely eradicated as pests in the developed world in the early 1940s. Bed bugs have been resurgent since about 1995. Interesting. So the key point is they eat the blood of warm-blooded animals. I didn't know that. They can survive negative 25 degrees Fahrenheit. And cockroaches actually eat bed bugs, as do some like upper-model ferocious bed bugs called the masked hunter bed bugs. But so so in, in Brooklyn, actually, the, the ecosystem is probably pretty balanced because I've been out there and, and those places were full of roaches. So sure, exactly. they probably have a good a good balance between the well, bed the, bugs the, and the The game plan there is to fight problems with bigger problems. There so you go. Exactly. The, the cockroaches. So wait a minute. Bed bugs were r- largely eradicated in the 40s and then what? Lay dormant for back. 50 years? And what happened in 1995 <laughs> that the comeback like started? Like John Travolta. They've just... Come uh, <laughs> 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 back. Did you just compare bed bu- John Travolta to bed bugs? I'm That's, not... I'm not arguing with That's the comparison. Really he was popular, to, then he wasn't, yeah. then he was again. That's not really fair to bed bugs. Steve, you, you, you like to tinker around with science and technology. Any theories as to uh, the resurgence of bed bugs? I think nature always wins. Just uh, 
even in the city, having a row house in the city for a while, bugs just everywhere, and you, you just nature finds a way. Never, never bet against nature. Is that never, the rule? Never, never, never. And if it's not bugs, it's plants. All right, let's move to the stocks that are on our <laughs> radar. Shannon Zimmerman, we'll start with you. Well, after all that appetizing discussion of bed bugs, <laughs> uh, my stock on the radar is McDonald's. The ticker is MCD. I, I love this company. I love the stock. And it does trade at a modest premium to the market, but I think that's entirely warranted based on the fact that they've now brought crispy bacon to their breakfast sandwiches. Really? On the McGriddle, which oh. is a pancake sandwich. And what's not to love about that? And even though uh, McDonald's is a bit pricier than the, the broad market, it's less expensive on a PE basis uh, relative to its average industry competitor and its own five-year history. I think now is a good time to look at McDonald's, and certainly it's a wonderful time to go order a McGriddle sandwich. You know what? They just need to get rid of those darn salads. Yes. Just just drop. Window dressing. That's right. And we are not stumping for a sponsorship, but if they want to send one our way, (laughs) that's fine, right? Drop us an email, radio at fool.com. We've got some very attractive advertising rates. James Early, your stock this week. Chris, I'm going safe with Johnson & Johnson. The ticker is J&J, as probably everybody knows. They have paid dividends since 1944, 27% Return on equity. I think everybody knows what they do. Basically, medical devices, <laughs> everything, uh, pharmaceutical, yeah. <laughs> <consumer laughs> healthcare. Um, the, the fizz lately has been from some contaminated products like children's Tylenol with metal shavings in it and fungus or mold or things like that, um, which sounds terrible and it, it's bad news for the stock. But nobody was really like really hurt by this, to my knowledge. So I, I think it could be a good negative catalyst and a good time to buy. It's a 3.6 percent yield or two. I'll tell you what's popular in my house because uh, with, with three kids, metal shavings, metal shavings. <laughs> Band-Aids are popular, and the brilliant move by Johnson & Johnson, and they're not the only ones, like NextCare and others do this as well, is they license out the Band-Aids. So Band-Aids, when we were growing up, were just, you know, just that regular bland color. Now, they've got superheroes on them. They're scented. Oh, they're they're scented? (laughs) No, but they've got superheroes. They've got princes. they got everything. You know, Hannah Montana. I use a lot of those in my house. The The Hannah Montana Montana ones? Yeah. Well, whichever are on sale. You know what? I don't even want to know. Let's, let's just move on. <laughs> what, Seth, Jason, the stock on your radar this week. Well, I'm looking at, I, I just figured I'd go with this uh, retail theme. And if you see uh, any dive in Aeropostal, the ticker is A-R-O. And, and last I looked, it was down a little bit. This is a small uh, retailer appealing to the uh, or to the teens out there that makes a lot of cash flow, runs small stores, has done a great job overall. And so I would say look for a chance to buy that on any weakness. I like it in a decent economy because I think they'll just sell more stuff like everybody else. I like it in a down economy if that's what we have coming uh, up because they are kind of the cheapest among the Abercrombie uh, American Eagle Outfitters. They're sort of a continuum. I like them Anyway, there. So I would be on the lookout for weakness in that stock price. Again, the ticker is ARO. I'm just glad you stuck with the apparel theme and not the bed bug theme. <laughs> I don't have a stock play there, but I'm going to start looking. All right. Seth, Jason, James, Early, Shannon, Zimmerman. Guys, thanks for being here. Sure thing, Chris. Chris. Mm-hmm. Thanks to our special guest this week, Rob Pegararo, technology columnist at the Washington Post. You can read his stuff online at WashingtonPost.com. If you missed any part of the show, you can find it at our website, MotleyFoolMoney.com. You can also get a copy of our free report, The Motley Fool's Top Stock for 2010. All that and more at MotleyFoolMoney.com. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 